0: Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've done aspects of love. Last week we didn't because we had broken it up. To speak on the wise men. This week we're going to do part 3 because I feel it's, I feel it's just what the Lord had wanted me to bring this morning. Aspects of love. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says Hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart With all thy soul, with all thy might Now let's just stop there And if you'll open up again your Bible as well To uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 please 1 Corinthians chapter 13 And what we want to do as we want to hover more, as it were, look more and study more into First Corinthians 13. But I want to show you aspects of love. So we'll not read First Corinthians 13 just yet, but just keep your Bible open at it. The definition of aspects is, it's the word that gives a distinct feature or an element to something. A characteristic to be considered about someone or something. Aspect means a visual precept. In other words, as I said before, you go to a park, you see the children's play park, how, uh, how good it is for the children, or you notice the, the pond, it's maybe a lovely pond or nice flowers or whatever it is. That's the aspects of the park. So there's different avenues and ways of looking at something. We want to also think of it as an act of looking at something or gazing at something. It's the way... Something appears when it's viewed from a particular direction. You may look at something and I may look at something from an entirely different direction and see something different in it. And that's the wonder of the word of God. That we can look at it and the spirit illuminates our minds and our hearts to be able to see things that others maybe not see. Maybe you haven't even seen before and you've read it a hundred times before, a thousand times before. It's the living word But whenever we are looking at aspects of love, we want to look at different aspects of how... I I can't go through two weeks and do a recap, but we did mention uh, an old Puritan called Joseph Hall. And he says, If my respects to my Savior be for the loaves and fishes, my heart is carried away with those baskets of fragments. But if I can love God for his goodness sake... This love shall outlast time. In other words, what he's saying is, if we love God for who he is, not for what he gives. The idea is the love for who he is, not for what he does. And if God, if we're praying for something and we're looking for something and God doesn't answer it as we want, when we want and how we like, or if he doesn't answer it that way at all and comes another way, God has a thousand ways to answer every prayer. And if we we don't get it our way, we feel that that God doesn't love us anymore or we feel that maybe God's not listening anymore. But if we can love him, that no matter what, even if we don't get the loaves and the fish, even if we don't get the answered prayer that we want, but we still love you, Lord. Like Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If we trust him and we look to him and we love him no matter what we think, When we place him first, then we find that that love is the true love of loving God. You know, there's many people, and there used to be an old saying even in the prisons here, that many people would have uh, turned to, to, to faith, as it were, and proclaimed Christ as Lord, but it was to make them look good to get out early release. And many did do that, but yet many were truly converted. But yet many did do that, that they got early released for their good behavior because they looked like they'd turned themselves around in prison and over a period of time. And many did. But many did really get saved, and many have really went on well. So we have to look and see, well, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? We have to look at this and say, Lord, I want to love you because of who you are, not because of what I can get. And so when we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're told that we are to love the Lord, we looked at it, I think it was in the second week, at how we're to love him. And let me just run through quickly. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 says, I shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. With all thy heart is from the very center of thy very being. With all thy heart is from your innermost parts, listen, with total commitment. That's what God demands in his Ten Commandments, the moral commandments of God. To love him with a total commitment of heart. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, or the nefesh. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. The nefesh, in other words, with all you are, everything you are, with every breath you take with all of your mind and every thought, with your will, your character, your emotions, with every passion, appetite, and desire, during every activity, with all of yourself to total access. This is God's demand of you and I. And he says, this is how we're to love him. With all our soul, with all I might, the word might means with all your strength, with every force you have. To the highest degree with the abundance of muchness. That's what it means. So when we put this together, we see how far short we fall of loving the way we should. That's why we live in God's grace. That's why grace carries us on, yet we are to love him. Yet we are to strive to love him, put him in our hearts, our minds, our will, our emotions, our appetites and so on. With all of our strength and every activity we do. In other words, 24-7 we are to be constantly in his presence thinking about him. And we find it impossible. Yet we are to strive for it, to put him first. And so you see how far short we fall. Brothers and sisters, thank God for his grace. Because if he didn't love us because he loved us and if grace wasn't upon us because grace is just no reason for grace but grace as the old Puritan said then you and I would be lost. So we must have grace in our hearts to be in love with Christ. We must have grace in our hearts to love one another. We must have grace in our hearts because listen, you're not going to love me the way I would like you to love me. And I may not love you the way you would want me to love you. I may try my best, but I may fall. But it's knowing that I'm trying, and it's knowing that there is love there, and so grace carries us on and says, well, we love them for who they are. So, let's look at First Corinthians 13 for a moment here, or a few moments, I should say. In 1 Corinthians 13, when we get... Uh, When we get to verse 1, look at what it says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see that this actually incorporates the Ten Commandments. You may say, how is that? Let me explain it in a nutshell. Because the first four, as I said, Commandment 1 to 4, are between you and God. From Commandments 6 to 10 is between one another. When Jesus said to the, to the man when he was asked, what is the first and great commandment, he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and all thy strength. And the second is like, unto the first. Thou shalt love one another, or thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. So in other words, when it's brought into the New Testament here, you can see that, People of the Spirit. Nationally, this should be like this among our kith and kin. We should be loving each other, not killing each other. But in the church, we should be loving each other in the body of Christ. Now, notice this. So, if you can see that the Ten Commandments are taken into the church, where the Spirit in us, when we step outside of them, are not showing the love, not showing the charity, or whatever way we can term it, We're breaking God's commandments. The word charity here is the word love. Why charity? Because the idea here is that charity is used 28 times, by the way, in the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians alone, it's used 10 times in 9 verses. Charity or love, it's a, a love which isn't static A love which isn't static. Charity is a love which is unbridled love, unharnessed love. In other words, it's a freeness of love. It's a love that you have the love of God in you for the love of God in someone else. They may let you down. They may fail you. They may hurt you. But you're to love them. Notice this. This is the command. This is not a precept, it's a commandment. Charity is a love of action and manifestation. In other words, love, this type of love, it's a love of manifestation. Let's manifest the love of God to one another as Christ did on the cross. The word charity here is the exact same word for the love of God and Christ on the cross. Christ loving a people who were his enemy Christ loving a people who didn't want to know Him. Christ loving a people who turned away from Him. Christ loving a people like you, like me. That's the manifestation of this word charity. And here, this word charity, isn't it? We think of charity as that's going to a charity shop. And, and they do a good job. I'm saying nothing against them. And you, you go to a charity shop. And you bring your your bric-a-brac or your second-hand goods or, uh, or nearly new clothes and they try and help. And that's fantastic. But this doesn't do the word justice. The word here, charity or love, it's a love of action and manifestation. A love of grace. Or as I wrote, it's a love with legs and long legs at that. In other words, it strides out to do and go past everything that we are against. It keeps on loving when the person seems unlovable. It keeps on loving when the person seems that we don't like them whatsoever. You love them because the Lord loves them. So we are to love the Lord. We are to love one another. First Corinthians 13. Let's look at it. The word charity or love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now we're going to look at this in a moment, what exactly Paul is saying here. But see the word charity, as I said, it's the word love. There are four words in the Greek New Testament for the word our English word love. Four. The first one is Eros E R O S if you want the, the spelling of it in our English. Eros is where we get the word erotic from, eroticism. The second word is storge, or storge. And it means family love, love between family. You love your parents, you love your children, your brother, your sister, and so on. Then we have philia, or phileo, love, which is a brotherly friendship, sisterly friendship. It speaks of a friendship or a partnership, and it's described as outside of that, the highest manifestation of a love for someone outside of your family. I love that person because they're my friend or whatever. So, whenever that's the third one, the fourth word for love is the word agape, or some people pronounce it agape. Agape love. Now, listen to me hear what agape love is. I've told you it before, but I want to expand it for you. It's a love that loves without changing. It's a love that loves without changing. It's a love that gives without demanding. It's a love which gives without expecting repayment. In other words, you love them and you don't expect anything. It's a love which loves even when it is rejected. Think of Christ. Christ. He loved us even though he was rejected. He was loved even though, and he, he expected no repayment when he went to the cross. He, he, he loved us and, and he demanded nothing from us. He, his love doesn't change for us. It's a love that loves when it is rejected. It is a love which gives because it simply wants to. It's a love that's self-denial for another's sake picture Christ on the cross. Alan read Path on the word agape for love here. He says, our word agony derives from it. It means the actual absorption of our being in one great passion. In other words, that time when everything you are and all that you have is given over And it agonizes sometimes to give it. That's agape. That's the love of God. God is love. God is agape love. In other words, it's his nature. It's his character. And if God is in us, and since God is in us, then we must have this love and find this love in us. Because this is what it is. It's an agonizing love. I love you. I might not like you, but I love you. You may not like me, but you have to love me. I may not like you, but I have to love you. Kenneth Woost, in his Greek word study, says, Agape is a love called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. And I use that all the time. I think it's tremendous because I look at my children and my children don't need to do anything. They don't need to do somersaults or cartwheels. They don't need to buy me anything or give me anything. My children just exist. And my heart has its love called out for them because they're the object that is loved. And because they're the object that is loved, they're so precious to me, it draws the love out of my heart without them having to do anything. That's a Gabby love. And so the Lord says uh, uh, through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this charity, uh, the word for charity is agape love. Love with legs, love that's called out. It's a love that agonizes even when those you don't like, if I can put it like that, even when there are those who have hurt you, you still love them, want the best for them. Charity here is a love with legs, It's a love and action. In John chapter 21, the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, and he comes to meet the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, Peter uh, jumps out of the boat, and, you know, he he runs up the beach, and the Lord's making, uh, has built a fire, and he's got fish on it. And they're sitting around, the disciples with him, and he says, Simon... Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And everyone tries to work out, did he mean, do you love me more than the disciples love me? Because remember, it was Simon Peter who says, even though all will leave thee and forsake thee, yet will I not forsake thee, I'll go to prison and death for you. Yet that night he betrayed, or denied him. So it may be that. Do you love me more than they love me? Because Simon Peter doesn't know his own heart, never mind theirs. Our hearts deceive ourselves. Your heart will deceive you. Some say, do you love me more than these fishing boats? Because he was a fisherman and he says, when Jesus didn't seem to be showing up, he says, I go fishing and he gave up. Do you love me more than your fishing boats? You wouldn't even wait until I came to you. Brothers and sisters, let's keep waiting until the Lord answers. Let's keep waiting until the Lord comes. Because he says, do you love me more than your fishing boats? Are you willing to go back to what you think you know best? For if you turn back and you go back, you'll find it's never the same. Let's wait. Whatever it may be, whether it be the other disciples, or whether it be the fishing nets and the fishing boats, Whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. Christ should be loved first over all things. That's the idea of it. And the word Jesus uses, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, is the word agape. It's the word agape. In other words, what Jesus was saying, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me with a love that is called out of your heart? Because I'm so precious to you. I'm the object of your love. And I'm so precious, you can't help yourself but love me. Do you love me like that, Simon Peter, son of Jonas? And Simon Peter replies to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, but he doesn't use agape, he used phileo. It's the word, you know that I have a brotherly love for you and it's strong. It's as humanly possibly speaking outside of family love or godly love like agape. And Jesus said it again and again. He asked him three times, do you love me? In other words, he must be first. I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Then... This is the word agape. This is what Jesus asked Simon Peter. And this is what the word charity is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's look at it briefly for a moment. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 puts charity. Now when we read charity, remember it's agape love every single time here. Every time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul puts love over speaking in tongues. Now notice this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a as, as, as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now listen. When we speak with the spiritual gifts, as in speaking in tongues, I speak in tongues. But when we speak with it or we use spiritual giftings, if we have a life that isn't a life of love, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how close you think you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are. If you're not showing love, the Bible here is saying you're like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. In other words, you're like a con being kicked up the street. It means nothing. Wow. Isn't this, does this not bring us back to reality of what these gifts really are? Does this not bring us back to the reality of what God really does demand for us? This is one for another. This is the six to ten commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you love one another. A new commandment I give unto thee that you love one another. And so here's commandments six to ten. Jesus is saying, do this. Forgive, love one another. Now notice this. So in verse 1, he puts love before tongues. In verse 2, we have love over mountain-moving faith. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have that charity, I am nothing. He says, if I have all this faith... I have so much faith I could move a mountain. If I have faith and I could do anything and believe God for everything, and there's no love in me, no agape love called out of me, (laughs) for God and for man, he says, forget about it. It Means nothing. Verse 3. Love is over your service and your self sacrifice. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, if you are doing this and the motive isn't love, if you serve me and your heart isn't full of love, if your heart isn't full of the love that God generates in you, He says, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you preach, Ken. It doesn't matter how how, how much you play a guitar and try and sing your heart out. It doesn't matter, Ken, if if you go and you do street preaching. It doesn't matter, Ken, if you go and and go out with the youth and drive a minibus when they need it. It doesn't matter, he says, if your heart is in love with me first and your brothers and sisters, forget about it. That's what he's saying. Notice this. In verse 8, love is over prophecy. Wow. Verse 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. In other words, when we look at this prophecy... When Christ's kingdom will come, will be in its fullness. So we don't need prophecy anymore. It's all done. But love will continue in the kingdom. Love will continue on. So that's why he's putting it over. it. We must love. Look at verse 13. It's, again, it mentions faith and hope. And now about as faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Agape love again, the love that God puts in our hearts. and other if you are in love with God, you will have love for others. And notice this, he says, the greatest between faith and hope and charity is charity or love. Why? Because faith, when Christ returns, faith will disappear. We will go by sight. We will see him as he is. And hope will be fulfilled. And hope will not make us ashamed. So hope will end because we have nothing else to hope for because we're living in the fullness of the hope that we have. But love will continue on. Love will continue in the kingdom. Love for Christ and love for his kingdom and love for his word and loving him forever and ever. So we have this. Now, go to verse 4. 1 Corinthians verse 4. Now, when you're at a wedding ceremony, this is one of the most read portions of scripture I would say when two people are getting married because this is to come into the home into the wedding into the marriage notice this verse 4 charity, love it is charity suffereth long and is kind the words here for suffereth long is the word makrathumeo Charity or love suffers long. Macro Macrofameo. It means patience, by the way. But let me break it down. The word macro means long. Long. And thumos means the temper, the temperance of the mind. Slow to anger, slow to get vengeance. Now, notice this. Macrofameo put together means that we are not only in a church, not only in our homes, But also, even in our, if we were to bring this into our nation, this would work wonders. It means that we are to be slow of mind to be angry. We are to be temperamental as to the good. And we are to be long-suffering and slow to want to get our own back. Why? Because it is the love of God in us. And that's the love of God showing through us. And we're fulfilling Commandments 6 to 10. Now, brothers and sisters, when we think of these things, I could think of, as I was writing this, I thought of people maybe that I maybe even held a grudge with sometimes. I thought of things that really annoyed me, and I had to put it to bed, as it were. But notice this. It says, Charity suffers long and is kind. The word kind is, it means it's disposed to be useful. Love becomes useful. It can't help itself but be useful. And it means that it will always go for the good. Then he goes on in verse four: Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. The term for envieth not here is it means it, love does not have a zeal for ill will, but has a zeal of warmth, a zeal of kindness. It doesn't have ill will against another. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Really, it means vainglorious. In other words, love will have you when a brother or sister or whatever uh, has sinned against you doesn't say, well, I'm perfect and you're not. It's a sort of love that doesn't say to a brother or sister, you know, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you because of this, that, or the other. But rather, showing your spirituality that is that, uh, is that... I love you. I love you. So here we see in verse five, notice this, it doesn't inflate oneself also. It means verse five, speaking of charity, charity doth not behave itself unseemly. So if you love someone, then love them. The Lord is one Lord, and because you love him, there's be no other gods no other loves. Because then we break the commandment before God. It goes both ways to see that. Now I notice this, verse 5, Charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Verse 6, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. The word iniquity here is the word is unrighteousness. That's what it means. So love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So yes, yes there is a time that we look at unrighteousness and do not like it and say you're wrong. You're wrong. But also love says you're wrong but we are going to see what we can do with you. I'm going to love you anyway. I <laughs> that you don't have anything. That's the idea of this. Now, notice this. The word iniquity or unrighteousness, it gives the idea of a deed violating the law of God. Write it down. Iniquity is unrighteousness. And unrighteousness is a deed which is violating the law of God. So when you go into where? The Ten Commandments. Do you see how it fits together now? You go into the Ten Commandments, and you see that you've maybe, you've, you've, you've had other gods before him. Every one of us places at some place point in time, whether it be our family or our work or whether it be uh, our, our sport or whether it be ourselves or whatever it may be, we commit spiritual adultery and idolatry before God, every one of us, because our hearts are given to something else. God must forgive us. So we're violating the law of God. So you you read the Ten Commandments. We haven't time to go through them all, but from one to four is you and God, six to ten is you with each other. And when you look at the the, the six to ten, we we see then whenever uh, Paul tells us here that we are violating the law when we sin one against the other. But love as in one to four, God forgives you at repentance. So we, one another, at repentance. Now, notice, it rejoices not in iniquity or the violating of the law, but rejoices in truth. In other words, when we see someone, you know, there's there's nothing to bless a pastor as much as to see someone in church doing well in God. It's like a million pounds. There's nothing blesses a pastor as much as to see someone growing in God. It's like a million pounds you rejoice in the truth. You're rejoicing when you hear the truth of the word. You rejoice when you're sitting under. And even when the truth convicts us, rejoice because then God's speaking. See, when the word pricks the heart, rejoice because then God's speaking. The day of Pentecost, Peter preached 3,000 souls came to Christ. What happened? The word pricked their hearts, we're told. And they says, well, what must we do? He says, uh, uh, repent and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now shall I receive uh, forgiveness of sins or, uh, for the forgiveness of sins I shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and so their hearts were pricked. So every time we sit whether it's under the, the meeting here or the Lord speaking to you from the word of God. Every time when we say but Lord I don't want to do that. I don't want this to happen or I don't, I don't want to listen to this or this is hard for me or see her I don't like her and I don't like him and yeah, yeah, I could choke them rather than love them. The Lord says love them. Love them. Love them like I love you. So brothers and sisters, I love every one of you. The word truth is aletheia. And it means we rejoice in the reality. God's word brings reality. Now we have prayed before the meeting, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. What has he said to you? That's the reality. That's the reality. I'm closing. Thank you for your attention. The word truth means aletheia or the reality, the manifestation or appearance of truth. The essence of a matter. The essence of the matter here is we love. And if we don't love, we're like tinkling cymbals. If we don't love, we're like sounding brass. If we love, if we don't love, we are not really to exercise mountain moving faith. It means nothing to people. Notice verse 7. Charity beareth all things. To you know the words beareth all things, do you know what it means? It means love covers what is displeasing in another. Charity beareth all things. Love covers what is displeasing in another. Love also believeth all things, it says in verse 7. And it means this. Believeth all things means to allow for circumstances to see the best in them. To allow for circumstances to see the best in them. In other words, love will, the love that God places in us to prove that love in us. We love them and it covers that which has displeased us. It also believes to allow that they will get better. That they'll get better in the ways. And it hopeth all things. Notice this. Love hopeth all things. Or charity hopeth all things. It is agape love hopeth all things. Or refuses to take failure as the finality. Love endures all things. You know what it means? Love endureth all things your love may feel faint yet pursuing let love pursue let love pursue in verse 8 as the last one first corinthians 13 in verse 8 charity never faileth The word fail here it means Agape love, the love of Christ in us is never driven fully off course. Is never driven off course. It may be weak but it pursues. It's never driven off course. May God bless his word to us this morning. And let the word of God, word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because in this is life. As we heard through the spirit this morning. Come there's life. You're living in the shallows. Languishing in the darkness, the shadows. Come back into life. Come back to Christ. God bless us everyone. For Jesus name's sake. Oh man.